Well, thank you, everybody, so much for joining us. It is just after 4 o'clock on the 18th of November, 2007. Stefan Molyneux, dog-tired from the very first FDR salon, where we finally got to bed around 3 o'clock in the morning after uh, several of the participants tied me down and gagged me, uh, thus uh, signaling pretty much a resolute end to the social evening. So thanks, everybody, who dropped by, and to those who uh, came in through Skype. It was a great deal of fun, and uh, I hope that we will uh, do it again soon. So, uh, this is a show where I am talked out, so I leave it to the listeners to provide me with uh, the, uh, the necessary uh, stimuli. And I uh, also wanted to mention, just before we start, that uh, there's a video that I did late this last week uh, called uh, Standing in Blood, which is available uh, on, uh, on YouTube, and you might want to have a look at it. It's also available on Stage 6, and a site called Viddler on the roof, so... Uh, I hope that uh, you will get a chance to check that out. Uh, it is uh, quite a strong... Sorry, I thought we'd uh, gotten ditched. Uh, so, uh, yeah, have a, have a look at that video. I think it's, a, it's quite a good, um, a good video. It's a reading of an article by a British uh, journalist about some of the tragedies that are going on in Iraq. It's a little heartbreaking, but I think well worth having a look. And it's uh, number one in Canadian politics YouTube uh, ratings. So that's good. It could be a bit of a breakout video for us insofar as... I only mention anarchism at the end after uh, weeping. So uh, hopefully that will um, get some more people to our site. And that's it for me as far as the introduction goes. Uh, buy my books, Universally Preferable Behavior, A Rational Proof of Secular Ethics, The God of Atheists, a novel on truth, the tyranny of illusion. And they're available at stores.lulu.com forward slash radio, or they are available at freedomainradio.com forward slash books.html. So that's it for my plugs. Uh, take it away, Mr. R. All right, so this week is uh, Rod versus the Germans, part zwei. Uh, That's right. So, uh, yeah, um, the I guess it was the day after I had that uh, last chat with you about how I ran off on the logeria about my beliefs in front of a bunch of these uh, German pals of mine and got the crickets. I was talking to them about all that again and just asked them what their experience about it was like when I just went on and on and on like that. And um, they said that they were surprised because it wasn't a very amazing for me to be saying. And uh, they said that so I was... sorry, very, I just lost that last bit of yours. It was a very what of you to be saying? They said it was not a very American thing of me to be saying. Oh, I see. Go ahead. So they, they said I sounded very European in my opinions, which was interesting. So I um, pretty much just stretched out my, my monologue into a much longer conversation with them and, and, uh, and let them know how I got around to my beliefs and my experiences over the last couple of years, especially uh, with respect to my family and everything. And I was really amazed at how open they were to everything I was saying. It was really, really cool. And um, so we had a nice long discussion about this stuff, and, and since then, over the course of the week, we've had several um, long conversations about these. Uh, and the two uh, Germans that I'm talking about right now are, they're two young engineers. They're a few years younger than me, and I've been uh, showing them how to use SolidWorks and stuff, and we've been working together on a project. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's been really cool. And uh, one of the older engineers, who is the project leader that on this, uh, on this project we're all working on, I was talking with him the other night during a barbecue that we were having, and I asked him what he, uh, how 
he perceived the German opinion of the uh, the U.S. military being based in Germany. And he said that um, prior to the fall of the Berlin Wall, of course, the West Germans felt as if the U.S. was an ally, helping you know protect them from the the evil commies in the East. But since the fall of the wall, um, the U.S. has been increasingly looking like a an occupier. And so, the uh, especially with with respect to this new war in the Middle East and stuff, they're starting to feel a bit used about being the basis of operations for a lot of things for this this new war of aggression in the Middle East. So, it uh, it appears that. Perhaps my uh, my monologue was just startling in its um, kind of suddenness in the middle of dinner, but I think that for the most part, I think they agreed with me about a lot of these things. So it's just been a, it's been an interesting experience to expand on these conversations over the last week and and realize how pers- how open to these ideas they really are. Well, I mean, I think that's great. I have a, a couple of questions, but uh, can you sort of synthesize what you feel the difference was between these two approaches? Uh, the difference was this time I started out by asking them what they, how they felt when I was talking about this stuff, and I, I just uh, it turned more a lot more into a conversation versus me just giving the uh, uh, five minute anarchy speech. Right, right. And certainly trying to engage people in a conversation is an ascent. I mean, this is something to say for a guy who does a lot of podcasts, but it, when you're talking with people, then it is very, very important to try and engage them into, into a conversation. Was, was it that it was in, an interaction or was it there was a different emotional aspect of it for you? Uh, let's see. I, th- I think one of the aspects of it that was different this time around was that it was just myself and a the the two younger people that I was speaking with and I think that again this may be just part of this new generation thing but it seems as if they were much more receptive to what I was saying especially there was there's one of them is a a guy and one's a girl and the guy was raised in East Berlin before the fall of the uh, the wall and the girl is from uh, West Germany and so she's very of course, she's been uh, raised with the the whole communism is completely evil thing, and there must be free markets. And he was definitely more receptive to government services, quote unquote, you know. But uh, they were both very um, very open to what I was saying, especially on the the personal family stuff as well. They were they were extremely open to that. Versus normally, when I speak with Americans, they can get along with the whole. Um, yeah, government kind of sucks, and religion's sort of bad. But don't you touch my family? And and with uh, with the Germans, they're they're actually surprised that we have so much religion in this country because it's very atrophied over there. Um, but I was pretty surprised at how open they were to the the talk about the family. And uh, what do you think the difference was, just in in that part of the conversation between? Between before, where you'd get the crickets, and, and when you got people to be engaged. I mean, there was the, th- this wasn't just the cricket speech with a couple of what-do-you-thinks thrown in, right? Right, right. Yeah, it was definitely... They were, they were asking me questions about um, 
I guess, you know, the part of the, the conversation where they just mentioned that I was not the stereotypical American, and I just kind of went through the history of how I got to where I I am in my philosophy, and uh, it, it just seemed to be very um, interesting to them, I guess. I don't know. I, it still was a lot of me talking and them listening, but there was a lot more participation of them asking me questions and asking me to clarify certain points and things, but it was, it was much more focused this time on the personal and not on the, on the lofty theoretical. So I think that by making it personal and by showing them, you know, the whole time I've been interacting with them, it's been a really positive experience. They've been saying that I'm a, a very upbeat and happy person, and they were surprised at how, uh, again, how European in my thinking I was, apparently. Well, that's wonderful, and and your emotional experience of the conversation was was quite different, right? Yeah, compared and, to the crickets, right? Yeah, what was really kind of interesting is this time, um, you know, what the crickets. I, I was mentioning last week that the uh, my empathy switch kind of turns off during those five minute rants like that, and I don't. I'm just completely unself conscious, and this time I was very aware of like my face was flushed and everything, and. And uh, in in speaking about these deeply personal things, I I was um, I was feeling a lot more self conscious, but they were still very accept accepting of what I was saying. Right, right. Well, I think that's wonderful, and and this sort of is something that's hard for people who haven't gone through this part of the conversation. It's hard for them to understand just how close to breakthroughs we really are. Right, if that makes sense. Like, we are so close to, um, to having these kinds of changes in our lives, so close, like it's, it's one revelation away from having some absolutely enormously beneficial stuff happen in our life, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of the things that was really great is I, I tried the, uh, the invisible apple analogy with them, and they seemed pretty receptive to that. And wow. also the the one about the uh, if you make a loud noise around a cat, eventually the cat like literally loses the neural transmitters between the ears and the brain that makes it freak out about the uh, about the um, loud noises and stuff. So right, they're right. they're really getting it. I mean, they're really jiving with this stuff. And uh, I think you may soon have a couple of German listeners. I don't know. <laughs> I told them all about the uh, the podcast and stuff, and they they're really interested about this philosopher I listen to. So. Well, that's great. Uh, I think that's absolutely fantastic. I think you should be, uh, you know, fanatically proud of uh, what it is that you've done. And that's, you know, there, there's a lot of time in this conversation where it feels like progress is, is painful. Sorry, it's painful and increment just stepped on my microphone cord. Where, where we feel like this, this conversation is, uh, is, is slow and painful, but as you get more into the conversation, the progress becomes more and more rapid, right? So here... Like in the space of one phone call where we got through to something very early and very powerful, which took about 40 minutes, you had a complete reversal in your experience and your effectiveness in communicating with people, right? Absolutely. And I think another thing that, that very heavily weighs toward my success in this case was, again, the, I've had a chance to work, for the, or work with them for the last uh, week, you know, just steady. We've been eating just about every meal together. We've been working together. I mean, it's been a, a really 
just a crash course week. And um, they, their experience of me has been, I've had very positive energy this entire time, and I'm a, you know, I'm a happy person overall. And so they, they really seem to be um, disarmed, I think, by just my positive energy and my attitude, which, again, just speaks to the, to the, the need for us to, to find joy in our philosophy and then other people want to share it. Oh, shoot, my phone's ringing, sorry. I'll step on it. It sounds like the Loch Ness Monster is eaten, Rod. And not many people have um, Satan at the ringtone, so that's, uh, that's interesting. Good <laughs> that's to know. like an oriental gong or something like that. Um, sorry, and the other thing I was going to say was how did you feel after this conversation? Um, well, it's actually, it's been the first conversation, which was so, um, it was, you know, like I said, it was kind of me with a flushed face and, uh, and just being very self-conscious of what I was saying after I was done and I was looking at them and they were smiling at me and still asking me questions. I was like, wow, this is really great. You know, it's, it's, uh, I just kind of laid out a lot of really heavy stuff and whatever, you know, I'm sure it was a combination of the way I delivered it and also just their own intelligence and ability to perceive the truth in it, I guess. And it just, it felt really, really good. Well, I think that's fantastic. And I think that also, to use a metaphor, the the ghost of the 84-year-old man that you knew when you were four can now rest in peace because, you know, in a sense, he's told you what he needed to tell you, right? Yeah. Like that, the, the memories that we have is about things that happened to us when we were younger that are charged are always charged for a good reason, and it's a lot to do with, with what people wanted to tell us but couldn't. And now that you finally got that lesson that you first saw and understood at some level when you were four, you know, in a sense, the, the, there is that metaphor, right, that, that when we learn the secrets of the dead, they can rest in peace. And what that means is that we can let go of charged memories when we understand their purpose. Right, right. right. No, I think that that... I, I know that the... Uh, Last week's conversation with you had a lot to do with this uh, success and my my um, my confidence in bringing it back up again with them. And uh, just I brought with me more curiosity this time, and it it definitely paid off. Well, congratulations! I think that's absolutely magnificent. And um, uh, I guess the only other question that I had was, um, what, what did they get? You know, because I mean. Ba- bashing American occupations in Europe is not a radical oh, yeah, step for someone to take as a philosopher, <laughs> but you felt that you got further in terms of getting them to understand the, sort of the gun in the room or, you know, that it's not just about American occupation and so on. Yeah, and, and I think that, I'm not sure that the whole, like, you know, me as an anarchist is uh, really completely sold on them yet. I mean, I'm sure that there's still a little bit of, well, we should probably have some government, but not much. Well, one conversation, like anybody you convert yeah. in one conversation will just be converted by the next person who comes along to something exactly. else. Exactly. Yeah, sure. But the what was really, really satisfying to me, even more than just the, the talk of anarchy and religion, was was um, just the fact that they were so perceptive, and, or so receptive to what I was saying about my defooing and my positive experiences since then. And uh, that was really, really exciting to me. I think that's fantastic, and it, it, it also only goes to show you that 
There's so much that we can do in terms of being communicators with regards to philosophy. There's so much that we can do that even if we've had a lifetime of crickets, you know, we can in the space of one week turn it around. And that's the kind of ownership that we can take as communicators that gives us real power. And the people who just get the crickets and don't understand why, what happens is they end up just being um, frustrated by the world and they end up in a sort of nihilistic, you know, everybody's stupid, nobody's going to understand, I hate the world kind of thing because they don't understand that it has so much to do with how they approach the question and the conversations. Yep. And just uh, you... the last detail was this morning I had some breakfast with them, and uh, the, uh, the young lady asked me how it was that I had managed to turn my life around from being a kind of angry and depressed person into the happy person I am now. And I said, well, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to uh, this guy and his wife on the Internet that I've spoken with, so... Uh, you know, I hope that's a, a little bit of an advertisement for them that they'll go back and start uh, plugging in. So, I appreciate that. That's fantastic. I mean, you know, massive bow, kudos, wonderful, fantastic. Giddy up. All right. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention at the moment? Nope. I'm all right. All right. Well, uh, just as a reminder to those who may be listening, uh, go to the FDR chat window. We are uh, using that instead of Skype. And um, I guess we're getting some people in uh, the fabulous and talented Greg is bringing people in like a Hoover. So um, uh, thanks so much for joining. And uh, I'm more than happy to uh, hear anybody else's topics at the moment, or I guess we can... Hey, say one. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, could you explain crickets, please? Uh, sure. Uh, it's a reference to uh, the conversation that uh, Rod and I had last week on the Sunday call-in show, wherein he was saying that he would uh, talk passionately about philosophy as he saw it, and what would happen is he'd get the sound of crickets afterwards and people give him have a thousand yard stare and there would be no connection and people would seem like vaguely embarrassed and disconnected. So that's, uh, that's the reference that uh, he, and we talked quite a bit and it's well worth listening to that, that part of the show, if not the whole show from the call-in show last week, we talked quite a bit about why that happens for him and uh, ways to change it. And it happened uh, an amazingly rapid turnaround when you get to the truth is, is always possible. So that's what we meant. Thanks. All right, so uh, uh, topics, uh, if you have a mic and a question, a comment issue, uh, praise, rank praise, wild praise, mad praise, uh, any kind of praise uh, is, is welcome. So uh, speak. All right, well, while you're gathering your thoughts, I just wanted to mention something that we talked about last night in the FDR Salon. Uh, Greg was uh, bringing up the question of why in the late, uh, late 90s there seemed to be such an upsurgence of um, religiosity in his uh, family. And uh, I said that that probably was a reaction because that was the major time when Satan claimed his soul. And so as his family felt the smell of sulfur rolling in from the black moor of Greg's nihilism, they felt they needed to reach to Jesus for the light. And uh, funnily enough, that was not a satisfying explanation to him because he's so fussy. But um, we talked about how when you look at patriotism, because they were patriots before they became born-again Christians, when you look at the resurgence in the late, 90s to, sorry, late 80s to early 90s of the born-again movement, uh, one of the theories that we talked about, which I think may be reasonably valid, is that the Americans uh, love their country, love their country because their country is protecting them from the Russians and they have to give up their taxes and a good chunk of their rights and freedoms because of those dastardly Russians and how bad it all is. And by God, uh, it's a great and wonderful thing that we have this government to protect us. 
And then what happened, of course, was the fall of uh, the Berlin Wall, the collapse of communism throughout the late, 90s, uh, late 80s and early 90s. What happened then was we would say, well, if we gave up our rights and our taxes and surrendered ourselves to the power of the state in order to have the state protect us from an external enemy, then logically what should occur, of course, is that when that external enemy falls down, goes boom, vanishes from the planet, then your money, your rights, and your uh, individuality should be restored to you, right? Uh, but, of course, this is not what happened. There was no particular peace dividend. There was no uh, major collapse in uh, government spending with regards to the, uh, the economy. The military-industrial complex continued unabated. And what this meant was that there was no great enemy that the government was protecting you from because the government continued to take your money at an ever-increasing rate despite the collapse of the external enemy. And so what happened was people began to suspect in their heart of hearts, and sometimes not that deep, that the government was using power to control them and inventing enemies. And so they had to create another entity that they could love passionately uh, and madly. And so that's why when they began to be suspicious about the motives of their much beloved patriotic state government masters and rulers, that they began to increase their religiosity to make up for that. And then we became not a practical and pragmatic fight against communism, but a holy crusade to bring peace, virtue, and democracy to the whole world. So when, uh, and, and we all go through this phase at one time or another, right? I went through it with Ayn Rand, where you go like, wow, you know, the rational goddess of all time, and then you read about her life, and it's like, ooh, not so much, right? Then there's this process of desolation that you go through, right? And you can either go through and say, well, that which I loved was not as virtuous as I thought, and I better figure out why and learn how to love better and more sensibly. You can either do that, or you can make up some damn story, some piece of mythology to explain the negative stimuli, right? So some of the objectivists, they uh, worship Ayn Rand, and then when the significant flaws of Ayn Rand's personal life are revealed, they say, well, that's just stuff that's made up by her enemies. They just make up a story so that they can continue their attachment to something which isn't you know, far from perfect. And the same thing occurs, of course, when we get, catch sight of the evil and corruption of our own government that we just make up a reason. Well, of course they have to take away our, patriot, the, the, our rights to the Patriot Acts 1 and 2 because of Islamofascism and blah, blah, blah. But uh, to those who have the strength to uh, endure the desolation or the disappointment that comes when the idols fall from grace, there is great wisdom on the other side. To those who make up mythology to justify their own subjugation, there is nothing but a repetition of enslavement. So that's something that we were talking about last night. We are, of course, have recorded a good chunk of it, and uh, we will release it similar to the way that we did with the FDR barbecue, uh, which is still available at store.lulu.com forward slash free domain radio. But um, it was a great, great chat. Uh, it was uh, 3 a.m. came far too soon. So um, uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's something I wanted to mention from yesterday. Again, we have lots of listeners in. Grab a mic if you're a first-time listener. Fantastic. Uh, grab a mic uh, and, uh, and say hi, uh, comments, questions, issues, problems, more than, more than welcome. I turn the mic over to you, the fabulous listeners. Well, I have something, Steph. Or, go ahead. Uh, I was listening to the, I was in on the uh, salon last night, and there was a part where you were, you all, you all were discussing. Uh, I think uh, Greg asked the question: um, 
everyone else around me seemed to buy into this religion thing, but I didn't. And why didn't I? And I think you said, well, because you're smart. And uh, I wanted to chime in on that part of the conversation, but uh, Skype got real noisy and then finally dropped me. But uh, the question I, I had was, if that's if the premise is that smart people are less likely to buy into mythology in general, um, was that the, the premise that was kind of bandied about last night? Uh, not exactly, and I'll, I'll just touch on this briefly because we did have a long chat about it, which will be available, but the question of intelligence, right? So, so one of the other gentlemen at the salon was bringing up the question of, like, I know some very smart people who are religious, and they're doctors or they're lawyers or whatever, and they're very, very smart and they're religious, so can't say that mythology is the opposite of intelligence. But to me, there is a difference between developing a practical skill and being able to evaluate and process reality according to rational principles, right? So uh, to, to, uh, there are people who are polyglots who can learn an enormous number of languages. And of course, that takes a certain amount of linguistic intelligence, but uh, it is sort of an ability or a skill and it's not exactly the same as being able to think for yourself, right? There are people who are great at memorizing stuff. There are people who have enormous manual dexterity and can juggle 12 flaming chipmunks or something. And those people do have uh, enormous and very strong uh, abilities in particular areas. But to me, that's not the same as a good degree of conceptual intelligence. There are people, and there is lots of them in the libertarian movement, who know every argument for everything under the sun, you know, and read this guy's book and this guy says that and the other, and they have a great ability to synthesize other people's work and to memorize it. But that's still not exactly the same as being able to reason for yourself based on, you know, first principles and, and evidence and so on. So from all of that, we were sort of working with the idea that um, uh, there is a particular kind of intelligence, which is the ability to work from first principles and not to engage in what, Ayn Rand called social metaphysics, right, which is the definition of uh, truth uh, in a social manner, right? Like, not what is true, but what do people believe is true? Well, I guess I'm just going to accept that. There is a great deal of intelligence that comes from skepticism, and, uh, but skepticism that does not fall into nihilism, where you end up just believing nothing at all. So we were talking about intelligence as that ability to simply uh, trust your own judgment, reason for yourself based on evidence and, and rationality, and that that is very rare. So does it follow then that someone who has a higher than average level of conceptual intelligence would be less likely to be trapped in mythologies or be more likely to be to escape from them or easier or, or, or would have an easier time escaping from being trapped in mythology? I think that would be to some degree the case and, and I'll give you sort of a very brief example of what it is that I mean if, if that's helpful. If you imagine that instead of trying to be a philosopher, I tried to, you know, pull a Dianetics religion Scientology thing, and, you know, if imagine there was no such thing as Christianity, and I said that, you know, the world was created in six days, and uh, the, the woman was created from the rib of the man, and there was a talking snake, and uh, this, that, and the other, right, and the angels, and the whatever. And I, I came up with this as a methodology for explaining how the world is and, and, and so on, right? And we have an all-virtuous God who kills uh, innocent children, and, but that God is completely virtuous and so on. Like, if I put all of this nonsense that is at the basis of every uh, piece of religion, 
uh, if I put forward this nonsense and, and there was no such thing as that religion to begin with, people would just laugh at me and they'd say, you know, this person uh, fundamentally needs to up their medication, right? That's, that's the only thing that I could suggest as far as this person goes. But they would not give me any credibility as a thinker, right? So when you have a great degree of, of conceptual intelligence, what happens is when you hear people say something, it doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what, what tradition says. It doesn't matter what is generally accepted. It doesn't even matter fundamentally what you're rewarded and punished for. What matters is you hear it for the first time. It doesn't matter how many other people believe it. Does it make sense? Your relationship to reality, to logic, is your own. And it doesn't matter how many other people believe or mouth the same nonsense and so on. And so when you hear Christianity and the nonsense that's in there, or, or Islam or Judaism or Buddhism or all this crap, this, this bullshit that's out there, when you hear that kind of stuff, do you sit there and say, listening to it, and evaluating it according to my own understanding of reality, which is not purely subjective and so on, according to reason, does it make sense, right? That is a fundamental capacity to think for yourself. Whereas lots of people will say, well, it's true because everybody believes it. And that is kind of retarded in my view. And these people can be surgeons. They can uh, win Nobel Prizes in economics. Who knows? They could be great biologists. But they can't think for themselves fundamentally in terms of values relative to reality. They imbibe far too much prejudice, bias, nonsense, mystical uh, lies from other people. And of course, we face this challenge with the question of statism all the time. Does that, does that sort of help answer the question? Yeah, but the, the, actually the, the, um, the question that comes to mind with this is in your recent podcast or video uh, about the younger generation having a significantly higher IQ. Um, in your mind, does does this um, make you feel more optimistic that in the future there will be less mythology because there's a lot more intelli- conceptual intelligence around, and there'll be a lot, you know, a lot less receptivity to this irrational, the, the irrationality of all these, all these mythologies. Oh, sure, absolutely. And and just to clarify that, and I didn't get that into great detail, though. Of course, the the paper is available on the board. The kind of intelligence that has grown the most rapidly is what is called fluid intelligence, or the ability to reason from first principles, to think things through for yourself, rather than just to basically swallow the. <laughs> excrement of the herd and call it knowledge. So the kind of intelligence that has been growing the most rapidly and the most commonly throughout these different cultures and societies is exactly the kind of intelligence that renders people to be more skeptical of mythological nonsense that people bully them into trying into pretending to believe. So I am absolutely, uh, completely certain that in a generation or two we will be able to outgrow mythology as long as the principles are repeated uh, passionately and, 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 and accurately and, and, and people live by those beliefs and provide a beacon for everyone else. Yes, the capacity is there uh, and as long as people keep pushing forward the bar or raising the bar as far as knowledge and integrity goes and keep redefining uh, virtue, then uh, without a doubt uh, we, can, we can get rid of all of this nonsensical crippling straitjacket of, of fantasy. Right. It, it would be interesting to um, you know, they've done studies, they've, they've uh, found evidence about this increase in in intelligence. It would be interesting to see if anyone uh, can also measure a correlating uh, um, some correlating evidence that there's fewer 
uh, Christians or, or you know, if, uh, in the younger generation. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, certainly I can tell you that for sure church attendance has been declining precipitously in Canada. Now, America is a different situation, right? America needs mythology because it's an empire, right? So the, the more violent your society, the more mythology is required because the violence is just so blatantly evil that the more you need to undermine and corrupt people's perceptions of reality in order to get them to do the mental, the mental logic-twisting pretzel maneuvers to justify the violence that is committed by, by the culture or by the government. So uh, it generally, in, in all cultures that are not imperialistic, that do not have a military-industrial complex, church attendance has been declining, like not by a couple of percentage points, but enormously and precipitously uh, to the point where, you know, if this trend continues in Canada, my understanding is that in another generation, the churches will be empty, which means that they will be filled with philosophy classes, which will be far more productive. <laughs> so, yes, I, it is exactly this kind of intelligence that renders um, this, uh, this uh, kind of skepticism to be very healthy and positive. We have to make sure that it doesn't fall into nihilism, right? So the danger is that when people lose a substantial chunk of their foundational beliefs in, in ethics and society and the virtue of this, that, and the other, the danger is like Russia in the 19th century, as I write about in my novel Revolutions, they fall into a kind of nihilism. If this is not true, nothing is true. And I also write about that through the character of Rudy and the God of Atheists. So you have to watch. If, if you can avert nihilism, it's a massive step forward. If you fall into nihilism, it's a massive step backwards. And that, of course, is one, one thing that we're trying, at least I'm trying to do as hard as I can through this conversation. Right. Well, thanks. Glad, uh, glad it could help. I certainly appreciate a question. And again, we'll have more. There's more details about that as we get these uh, these uh, things compiled. So, uh, thanks very much. Uh, I I open the the conversation. The question. Uh, uh, Greg is here. Uh, Christina is here. So you don't even even have to talk to me. I have a question for you, Steph, if you don't mind. I certainly don't. Um, there was something that. Sorry for all the laughter behind me. I was reading on the boards this morning. You know, you'd posted the video about uh, the war in Iraq and all the, uh, the soldiers who end up uh, committing suicide. And there was a comment posted uh, to that entry that the, um, the suicide of young volunteer soldiers is Darwinian, just, and progressive. I know what I think about that, but I was wondering if you had an opinion. I do, but I certainly would be more interested in yours because Lord knows people get enough of my opinions in general. So go ahead with yours. Um, well, my opinion would be it depends entirely on how the soldier got into the war and why he went. If, you know, you have a, a kid from the inner city of Detroit who just went into the army to get some money for college and, you know, didn't know that he would end up mutilating and killing people in Iraq, then I would think that his suicide would be less just. Um, if you have someone like, for instance, my ex-fiance who went into the military um, specifically to sign up to torture people, then I would think that, yeah, their suicide would be more just. So are you saying you didn't marry this guy? No, I didn't. Well, that seems rather prejudicial. Um, good move. Well, I would say that, I mean, I'm in completely in agreement with you. If you take your average soldier who is not cruising around life with an IQ of 150, uh, who has been subjected to the most uh, intense propaganda and mythology and death cult worship of the military and truly believes that uh, he is defending his country and serving his fellow citizens and truly believes that America, the uh, innocent victim, was cruelly and unjustly attacked on 9-11 and truly believes that 
by uh, signing up to the military, he is protecting his fellow citizens and family against further attacks and truly believes that Iraq had something to do with 9-11 and it was a just and vengeance for, you know, the America who'd never done anything to meddle in the region and certainly didn't install Saddam Hussein in power and certainly didn't sell him any weapons of mass destruction. All right, as they say, we know that there are weapons of mass destruction because we have the receipts, saith America. But if, if since this person has been subject to the most, the most brain-mutilating uh, system in the public school uh, planet, and has been lied to about the virtue of the military, has been lied to in a propagandistic, horrible manner about America's role in the world and what it does, uh, the American government's role, what it does overseas, and believes that he is uh, signing up to, then it's, it's an absolute, complete and total tragedy. And you might as well, you know, blindfold a bunch of uh, not-too-bright people, uh, tell them that there's a million dollars at the end of the race, and have them run off a cliff. I mean, it is a form of murder to lie to children, particularly in the realm of death, uh, torture, and, and murder. So I agree with you, and I have massive, massive amounts of sympathy for the people, uh, the, the children who uh, learn the truth, and that's why I use the phrase children with guns, because, you know, you get an 18-year-old kid who's never been taught to think for himself and has been lied to by his parents and his teachers and his government his whole life and his, his, um, the movie makers and so on. You get a kid like that, and by the time he realizes the truth of the situation and the fact that he has become a totally evil hitman, uh, he's caught in the system and cannot get out. And, uh, uh, you know, whether you kill yourself or not, if you are a soldier, there's a part of you that's already dead. And those who suicide are the ones who recognize that fact. So I would not say that it is brutal and Darwinian uh, and say that a lot of these kids who were lied to and, and bribed and brutalized into this uh, ghastly lifestyle and who learn the truth until it's too late, I would not say that that is just that they die. I'm done, I promise. Does that, does that help? Does that, I mean, does that, uh, are, we, are we on a similar page or is there anything that you'd like to, to add to that? Um, as for me, myself, I think that we're, we're definitely on a similar page. Okay, and I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about your ex-fiancé, but I can't tell you how happy I am to hear that it's an ex. Uh, that's all right, he'll die by the sword. Yeah, well, hopefully he won't take too many people with him. Do we have a question from the chat window? I overdid myself. I'm not sure what overdid means. Is that good or bad? Or I overdid? Overtalked? Never! <laughs> Darling? <laughs> Does brutalized and brainwashed equal deterministic? Well, there are few people in the world, in history even, who can invent a science of ethics, right? I mean, that's something that I would like to lay some claim to myself. But there are very few people in the world who can see through all the lies and propaganda. If we look at somebody like a child raised in Sudan, do we actually really and truly believe that that child is making the choice to become a Muslim? Well, of course not, right? They're just bullied and broken into it, and, if they, uh, and they will be shamed and rejected and brutalized by their family if they don't, right? So the children who grow up to be Muslim or to be, uh, to be Islamic in a Muslim country, we do not say that they have chosen that. And uh, the amount of propaganda that they're subjected to and the amount of violence and bullying and bribery that they're subjected to doesn't make it deterministic, right? Because not everybody in those stimuli responds in the same way. But I would certainly say that lying to people of suboptimal intelligence about basic ethics in the world 
is something that they cannot fight their way free of uh, any more than, you know, most of us can do surgery on ourselves, right? So I don't think that it's exactly the same as being deterministic, but I certainly do say that if you tell the truth to people as emphatically, repeatedly, and passionately as you can, you certainly do raise the odds that they will not end up trapped in this status grindhouse. All right, next question, please. Step right up. The mic, she is yours. Don't make me come over there. I was on the, um, for those who don't know, I was on the Mark Stevens Show. Yesterday, uh, which is available at adventuresinlegalland2ls.com. And uh, sorry, I did try and record it myself, but no luck. The technology, she did faileth us. So um, uh, if you'd like to listen to that, we had a good conversation. I think a gentleman named Don Rawl, what was his name? There's some, some, some guy came up in the conversation. Stan Paul Ron Cole? Something like that. Some politician in the U.S., uh, came up. I can't really remember his name. It's a one-time thing. But if you are interested in Condol, RuPaul. RuPaul, that's right, RuPaul. Um, you may want to uh, check out that uh, conversation. And uh, Mark was uh, quite uh, pleased with the line from the Iraq video, when you salute the flag, you are standing in blood. And we did talk quite a bit about the military. It was a good show. He has some quality callers, so you might want to check that out uh, to see just what happens when I wing it. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you haven't heard that before. So, I uh, I eagerly await the next caller question. Speak up. It can't be that the more people we have on the chat, the fewer people want to talk. Hey, Steph, it's me. Hi. Um, it's James. Uh. I wanted to, um, if uh, if, think, if you feel it's a, an appropriate thing, I know you don't like to talk to, not talk to people, but you don't necessarily like to discuss things with people who are on therapy, so to speak, but um, you can, you know, correct me if, uh, if that's a wrong, uh, <laughs> a wrong sort of, uh, whatever on my part, wrong, wrong assumption. Um... When I came in and and mentioned uh, what had gone on in the uh, the therapy session last Thursday, and um, I I think uh, basically what happened was the ther therapist said something like, um, he went he went basically went down a road because I'd mentioned at least twice uh, that you know I basically broken from my family, and he said that you were tr that I was trying to feel okay with it. And when he was saying that, I felt pretty cold. Um, and uh, I think when I recounted that conversation, you had mentioned that it was pretty much... Um, <laughs> well, you, you didn't say that was a good thing. Um, and uh, I, I guess uh, I just want to sort of... I, th I think I understand it after after thinking about it a couple of days, but I just wanted to, you know, go over it, you know, just to make sure that I understand what what's going on there. Um, 
Sure. Yeah. Why don't, sorry, why don't you tell me what, what you sort of picked up, and I'm sorry that I was bouncing in and out of that conversation, but it's certainly great that we can talk about it now. Why don't you tell me what you sort of got out of that, and, and then I'll, you know, because maybe you've got it totally right, and I don't need to say anything, but just go ahead with that. Well, what I got it from, 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 from which side? From, from the Well, the you said that, or... you know, after th- thinking about it for a couple of days, you think you've got it. So why don't you tell me what, what you've got, and, and then at least I can tell you whether it fits into what I was thinking, if that's helpful. Okay. Um, well, what I was thinking was, uh, well, you, you, you emphasized, um, you know, that I had said I felt cold. It's like, yes, I had felt, I did feel cold when he was, it was like, it was like a chill basically run through my body. It's just this, uh, this, this dreading of the criticism, really. Um, and so what I was thinking was, as time goes, <laughs> as, as, um, as, it, as the hours wore on, uh, I was like, well, this guy is supposed to help me um oh, let's see. He's he he's not supposed to bring his own value judgments into the conversation between him and me. Necessar- I mean, obviously if I'm, you know, causing direct harm, you know, or, you know, to somebody, that that's different, but that's not the case here. I'm merely Disassociating myself from, or yeah, you know, yeah, disassociating myself from people who I've already demonstrated have been pretty bad to me. I mean, I mentioned the abuse, and I mentioned, you know, the the, the all, you know the physical and the emotional abuse. So it's not like these pe- are good people. Yeah, it's not um, like they disagreed with me about what kind of milk we should have in the house. So that's it for them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so so what 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 I started to put together in my mind was. Um, he was, he, if, if he understood, if he understood, if he understood that, you know, that this is, this was, was the right decision, then the way he went about it was not appropriate. I mean, or maybe even just not helpful. I mean, I, it's, it was really hard for me at the time because it's like I had basically, I'd broken down crying um, when he said this, and it was just like, it was just this flood of tears, and, um, because it's like, no, I'm, I'm not okay with the fact that I had to do this, it was painful, it was hard, and, you know, I mean, I mean, yeah, maybe I'm touching on the pain now, but, um, but, but, but the way I got there, I, I, there wasn't a question, it wasn't, like, necessarily teased out in any way, um, I actually also listened to some more podcasts over the weekend, which maybe helped clarify this for me. You know, um, you know, I'm in the early 700s right now, and uh, so what, what I've what I've come to understand is that what I want to ask him or talk to him about is how I felt cold, and you know, try to. <sighs> I don't know which way it was which way it's going to go, but I want to say because because another thing I was talking about was uh, some things I've been working on with my girlfriend. You know, just saying, you know, instead of reacting when I'm angry, saying, "Oh, you know what? I'm angry. <laughs> let's actually talk about this and you know, let's see what's going on for me and maybe for you and you know and and, and everything else." And you know, it's totally different from anything that ever happened in my family before. Um, so. Uh, 
So that's that's a sort of you know I want to go back and I have it's a week from Monday of course so it's got a little time but I want to go back and say you know I felt really cold when you were criticizing my decision or if, maybe maybe not criticizing but when you were saying this um, I felt really cold and you know we I think we need to really discuss that because this is an important sort of thing you know this is something that I you know. This is a, this is a big decision in my life, and you know, if, if this is if it's something that he can't get past, then you know, I need to be able to see that and move on. But if you know, if we can talk about it, and you know, I, I don't know, I, I. But that's that's sort of what I got out, got out of it. I mean, there there should be some sort of curiosity for my benefit. I mean, this is you're paying. Yeah, exactly. I'm paying for it. So, so his words <laughs> to you when you were saying it, his words to you, if I correct me if I'm wrong, his words to you were, it feels to me like you're trying to justify your decision to me. Those weren't the words, but those were... <sighs> I, I guess that could be the gist. He didn't use the word justify. He said, I feel like you're, I feel like you're trying to make yourself feel okay with it, which is closer to what he said. And that was not your experience of what you were doing. Um, I wanted. Well, what I, what I said, I wanted to make it very clear that I had done this, you know, and that that's where I am, you know. I, I felt it was very important to go into the, the this therapy section because he had had me fill in the intake form, um, uh, good, bad, or ugly. I don't know it, it but it, it was a lot of information, of course, you know. Um, to start out with, I can hear. Sorry to interrupt you. Somebody's typing with their microphone on. If you could not do that, I'd appreciate that. Sorry, please continue. Um, yeah, I, I got distracted the same time <laughs> you mentioned that. Uh, what was um, where was I there? You were just talking oh. about how you. Sorry, go ahead then. Yeah, the the, the filling out the filling out all the information in the intake form. I, I felt it was very important for me to emphasize that, you know, I have taken these abusive people and, you know put them on hold, you know, put them on indefinite break, you know, you know, I'm not talking to them. And I thought that as, as, as far as the therapy is concerned, that is an important thing for the therapist to know. Um, at least, you know, I would think so. Sure. Um, it's, it's, it's something I've been working on. It's something I've been working on for the past, well, many years, but certainly much more, much more extent in the past couple of months, uh, since, since signing up with FDR, you know, <laughs> and, right. uh, <sighs> to get that, to get that was like a total second guess, like making me think, now is he going to tell me I just did the wrong thing? You know? Uh, just, um... Oh, he was telling you, sorry to interrupt, he was telling you that you were manipulating him. Manipulating him? Yeah. Like if I'm uncertain about a decision that I'm making, and I try uh-huh. to convince other people because of my own certainty my own uncertainty, then I'm using other people, right? I'm manipulating them. I'm trying to get their agreement uh, in, in order to shore up my belief in the validity of my decision. Well, I mean, I know I've done that before, but I don't think that's what I was doing in this case. I, could, I mean... No, I, I mean, be... look, if you were doing that, you wouldn't have felt cold. You would have felt embarrassed because you've been caught or whatever, right? So... But uh, And look, every therapist has their own style, and I'm not going to speak about this guy's style as a whole, but I'll tell you what, I, what would work for me. Mm. When, if you are doing something that is manipulative, 
then if somebody just says to you, well, you're just being manipulative, that does not help. Right. Right. If you say to someone on the nose, like if somebody is, is, uh, uh, is pretending to be victimized uh, and, and you say, well, you're just playing the victim, it may be true, <laughs> but it doesn't help. Yeah. Right. Because the important thing is not for your therapist to identify what is happening. Right. The important thing is for you to identify what is happening. Right. Yeah. And if your therapist yeah, just says, this is what's happening then he's not leading you to the knowledge and not giving you the tools to reproduce that understanding for yourself, right? Yeah, that's, that is something else I noticed. He did sort of throw out a few, uh, few things. He said, this is, you know, like, I'm guessing blah, 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 blah. And, well, I mean, he, he was making accurate guesses, but it wasn't like, you Yeah, know, the important thing is for you to learn it, right? I mean, if I'm teaching you yeah. karate, the whole point is for you to be able to do karate. Yeah, or I could just sit and watch, you know? That'd yeah, you could just sit and watch, or, you know, if I just say, or if I just say, um, uh, uh, you know, if I'm sort of trying to teach you how to cook, and I just say, add eggs, stir, put some salt in, right, <laughs> and so on, right? You will make a meal, but you won't learn anything about how to cook. You'll only learn how to obey orders, right? Sure, sure, of course. So, um, so, so, from that aspect, right, I think that you felt cold because you were being given a conclusion rather than being taught how to get to that conclusion. Right? Any yeah. math teacher can give you the answer to a complex math problem, right? They can just write the answer on the board. Right, right. But what they're saying, what, what do they say when they put the answer on the board? What are they saying about your intelligence? Uh, you're not able to get to this point. Right. Right. So if he's giving you, let, let's say, I don't think you were, but, but let's say you were trying to convince him because you were uncertain about your decision. If he gives you the answer, he's saying you can't get the answer. You know, it's funny. I, I would have people, uh, I'd be on a talker. It's to, to, totally, totally random, but um, I've had that same experience being you know, like in this position of a teacher and people coming up to me uh, and saying, I need help with coding, I need help with coding. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do it for you. I'm not going to give you the answer because you're not going to learn anything. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's just it, it's a very simple, very simple fact. It's just, you're not going to learn anything if I just give you the answer. In fact, you're going to come back and bother me more. <laughs> and I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. But, you know, that was, and I'll tell you but, this, um, and again, this is not specific to your therapist because I just have this one little sentence, right? But I'm just going to say sure. that it's the teachers who don't think that they're good teachers who give the students the answer. Hmm. And, and the reason that they give the students is ans the answer is to avoid the anxiety of the process of teaching them. Hmm. Now, this, again, I'm, this has nothing to do with your... Th I'm, we're just trying to figure out why you felt cold, right? Now, if somebody gives you the answer and that answer is wrong, you have the additional problem of them projecting, right? Of them avoiding anxiety, of, of framing something that you're doing completely incorrectly. And that has to be coming from them, not from you, right? Sorry, it's one thing to be given the answer. It's another thing to mm -hmm. be given the wrong answer. And also, oh. if he's saying, you're manipulating me, but it turns out that he, in fact, is manipulating you, that's pretty bad, right? Oh, yeah, especially for someone in that position. Yeah, I mean, then he's accusing you of something that he's doing, and you're paying him to do it. <laughs> and again, I'm not saying this is conclusions about your therapist or anything. I'm just saying that 
this is the stuff that's that's worth exploring in yourself because you know the answer in your gut, right? It's just that uh, uh, you know the coldness that you felt was uh, was entirely valid, and it's something that you should definitely talk about with your therapist. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I, I intend to. Um, it's. Uh, I just I just figured uh, you know I would talk about the conversation you and I had, obviously, you know, obviously which were related to that. But and and sorry, the last thing is that if he says you're trying to convince me of something. That, mm-hmm. then he's implicitly saying, you are not certain of your decision. Now, right. if you are not certain of your decision, but you don't know it, he needs to lead you to that, because no point just telling you, right? And if you're not uncertain of your decision, but he tells you that you are, then clearly he's projecting again, right? Right. Yeah, I, I could see how that could, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a tough thing for um, anybody to accept this whole, you know, not not talking to the family thing, even if they are abusive. It's just, you think that a therapist would, you know, would get it, but... And, and a therapist, just to clarify, a therapist, ideally, is not supposed uh-huh. to refrain from value judgments. Okay. Is well, what was it then? I got, I got that. I Sorry, what? It, it's not supposed to refrain from value judgments, right? So... Uh, what, what they're supposed to refrain from is shaming you with opinions, huh. right? So if you come in and you say, I really had the urge to spank my cat with a spatula, right? And like, we've all been there. Um, then right. the therapist is, is supposed to be curious about that, right? Now, mm-hmm. but they're not supposed to say, I have no opinion about whether it's good or bad to spank a cat with a spatula. Clearly, they recognize it, that that would be abusive behavior, right? And that, that the, the value judgment is, well, you don't want to be doing that, right? But, let's, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to shame you and say, only evil people would want to do that. How bad you are. Get out of my office, you evil bastard, right? So, so to, so to re- rephrase that, um, well, it was wrong. So, so to, 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 to try again on my part, um, the, the judgments that take place aren't supposed to, well, not even judgments. It's just the, the actions that go go forward from what I would say to the therapist aren't supposed to be ones that, you know, have, you know, end up in shame or humiliation or, you know, that sort of thing. Because this is, you know, if, if I feel shame and humiliation, it should be because of something that I'm working through in, out of my history or whatever, not from the therapist. Well, a therapist who is not trying to shame and humiliate you will say, I sense that you're feeling shamed and humiliated. Tell me more about it. Right? The problem was not that you felt cold. The problem was that you didn't feel that you could say, I feel cold. Yeah. You, uh, what you said just now really bothered me. Well, yeah. Sorry, this could be a great thing for you with this therapist, right? Mm-hmm. right? And, and so if the therapist says something that makes you feel cold, or makes you feel bad, or makes you feel afraid of criticism, again, to not to flog the real-time relationship book that I'm working on, but <laughs> the key thing there is to say, wait a second, wait, wait, wait a second. When you just said that, I felt cold, I felt ashamed, I felt this, I felt that, right? <laughs> That's the real-time relationship. This is what right. I just felt when you said that. Right, right. And so even if point, your therapist turns out to be the worst therapist in the world, and I'm not making, I don't know, right? I'm just saying, right? 
you can get an enormous value out of when you when if he does something that you feel bad about, then you pause and you say, whoa, 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 stop the train. This just happened for me. Right? Because the whole point of therapy is to stop talking about the past and start talking about the present, right? Right. And, and that you go into the past and you deal with all of that so that you can get to the present, right? That's why we went back last week to Rod when he was four years old so that he could have a great conversation this week and get what he wanted out of sharing the philosophy with people. So, uh, so I would definitely go and say, I felt this in my last session, and then how he reacts, you keep him informed of your reaction to what he does in the real-time way. Right, right. And I suppose that's going to determine pretty quickly, for me at least, uh, whether I have number four. Yeah, and you stay vulnerable with him, and if he hurts you more, you say, well, now you're hurting more. And if he says, well, you're just oversensitive, and you're, then, then you feel even worse, and you say, well, now I'm feeling even worse. And you just, you just fucking relentless honesty. I mean, it's teeth-gritting, relentless honesty. Uh, and that's how you get to the truth about your relationships. And, of course, that's where you get uh, efficiency. And if you have a great therapy session, then go back. And if you don't, then don't. Mm. Okay, so I know you can put it in the final terms like that. I'll just try to... Go in there as open as I can. Yeah, just, just be honest, right? Honesty is the first virtue, and honesty brings you clarity and certainty, which is called closure. Well, thank you very much. I'm certainly glad to have been, uh, been helpful, and uh, do, do keep us posted with how it goes. Sure. And uh, I, I don't know if you got the email or not. I know you've been busy uh, with other things, but I just finished uh, The God of Atheists. Um, it's absolutely amazing. That's just an amazing work of art. Can you, can you, yeah, I do, I do, I'm just not, not sitting at my desk. Could you mind reading the email? I, I certainly don't mind the plug, but of course I do want people to buy the book, not just because I wrote it and think it's beautiful, but because it's beautiful and they should read it. So if you could read the email you sent to me, I'd really appreciate it. Well, let me, let me pull up the email. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do much. I was planning, and I haven't yet, uh, to write a little more of, ex- of an extensive review. Um, but yeah, just while he's pulling the email up and, and, you know, with all the due skepticism that is attended to an author talking about his own book, this is a completely and totally beautiful and wonderful and funny and touching book and uh, with vivid characters and, and, uh, and uh, beautiful uh, dialogue. And, and it's, very, it's very rich. It's very deep. It's very passionate. It's very powerful. It's very heartfelt. Uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful book. I don't know of any other novel that's like it that's out there. And uh, it got uh, massively positive reviews. And uh, you should absolutely get a hold of copy. You can get it. A uh, hundred bucks gets you the audio book. Uh, read by me, and also you can download a copy of The God of Atheists for like, I don't know, 14 bucks or something. You can buy the print copy uh, for 20, 24 bucks or something like that, but uh, you, you absolutely, completely, and totally should get a hold of a copy uh, of this book. It is just a wonderful and beautiful book, and uh, of course, if you don't agree with me, then I will totally give you your money back. So it's a no-risk proposition for you. Uh, go ahead, James. Okay. The God of Atheists is simply an amazing work of art. I couldn't put the PDF down, so to speak. I see so much of what you've written and spoke about in that novel in FDR, and I can catch a glimmer of the thrill it must be to finally have it published. Rarely does a book capture my attention so, though I don't know where I would have been reading this book six or twelve months ago. Oh, sorry. Though I don't know where I would have been reading this book six or twelve months ago, it was certainly the right time now. I think I'll take the t- time tomorrow, today, to write up a more complete review for it. If there are any significant edits to the published version, let me know. So just just so that I don't uh, 
you know, I think I'll try to get my hands on the hard copy maybe um, soon, so I can just take a look at that. But yep, that's pretty much it. Well, thanks. I really do appreciate that, and uh, I appreciate that insofar as it hopefully will tease other people into getting a hold of a copy of the book. Uh, if you can't afford it, if you're totally broke, I'll send you a copy for free. Pay me whenever you return your beer bottles. But uh, uh, it's freedomainradio.com forward slash books dot html stores.lulu.com forward slash freedomainradio. Uh, just uh, just go get the book. Uh, you will absolutely love it, I promise. All right, Monsieur Letom, I believe, is up next, who wanted to talk about uh, insecurity. Uh, yeah, hi, Steph. Hi, how's it going? Hi, uh, good, thanks. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to talk about, I guess, something which is, um, something which went away, like, uh, I guess, last year. Um, I used to get quite... I, I didn't used to be quite uh, very secure, like confident and stuff, but um, that kind of went away. But right now I'm getting these these things and it keeps coming back, but way, way more severe. Like like right now I'm actually like shaking, it's really weird. And it happens in class too. Like, um, like just this sudden like burst of um, like adrenaline, like really like... Like, when my geography teacher, like, talks about, um, like, economics and, you know, he's talking about the our society comparing us to, I don't know, Iran or something and saying, oh, yeah, we're so much better because, you know, we live in a free free market. It's all capitalism here. This is wonderful. And talking about how we can stop war with a, like, good democracy and stuff. And it just, everyone, everyone else in the class just takes it in and it's fine. But I'm sitting there and I, I really feel this, this build-up of emotion and it's really hard to just, like, to shut it out and stay quiet. When he, when he asks me a question, I just want to, like, shout out the truth to him. It's really hard. And I just, I get that this, um, this self-confidence that I have now, just, just to be able to... Like, when I talk to people, I don't have to, like, convince them that I'm right in whatever I'm talking about. Like, I've got a friend who I've just found out believes in God. Like, I don't need to convince him that God doesn't exist. I just need to just say, look, we can't be friends, okay? We just stop talking to me about, um, you know, the way you want to, you want God to give you a break or whatever. Because, you know, there's, we don't have a friendship. I, that self-confidence is... I, I don't feel like that's come from me, if that makes any sense. Like, if it came from me, then I'd know how to deal with this uh, nervousness I'm feeling now, and that I feel in class. Right. Is is this this time from yesterday that we we chatted yesterday? Uh, right, right. That as well. How's, and uh, how's I, Divine Miss C doing? I don't want to give her name on air, but uh, is she okay? You mentioned that she was a bit uh, a bit strung out from our chat yesterday. Yeah, she's been quite strung out actually, but um, uh, she still hasn't listened to the the Skype chat again through. Um, but she's just thinking it through. It's it's kind of hard. There's so many ideas that she's like thinking through right now. Yeah, no, I'm and I'm and I'm sorry. It's it's a little bit of a you know. Uh, it's like if you've ever seen the uh, the the slow motion pictures that they're usually black and white film of a, a, a fat guy getting a cannonball shot into his belly. Uh, that sometimes can be a Skype chat with the big chatty forehead, so uh, I do I do apologize for you, but uh, uh, I don't have right. as much time as I'd like, and of course I'm not a therapist, so 
uh, sometimes it can bowl you over a little bit, but just, you know, be, be tender and, and gentle with her and, and listen as much as you can. Uh, because I know that that was quite a lot to, uh, to swallow. It's like one of those National Geographic videos where you see the snake with the gazelle inside it. So the digestion does take a little bit of time. And of course, that's why I suggested that you guys could uh, talk to, to counselors in your in school situation and so on. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to find a counselor this week, actually. In fact, um, me, and Candy, me and Mrs. C are actually um, seeing a... Well, we're not seeing a counselor, but we're taking a course, um, sort of five-week course, uh, and I'd, where a counselor comes in and talks about uh, his, his method that he uses to counsel people. Um, and... You know, it's just a short course, costs uh, fifteen pounds, and we can talk about that. And I guess this is our last, um, like, uh, lesson that we'll have with him. So we'll definitely ask him to like point us in the right direction. Like, if he can put us in touch with someone we can talk to. That's cool. um, yeah. If you like, if you like him, and you can get a recommendation from him, so much the better for sure. Right. Right. Now, let's go back to, there were, there were two parts of your, your earlier question, and uh, we may not be able to deal with them both, but let's go to the first one for sure, which is your feelings, sure. the feelings that you, you, the adrenaline and so on, the feelings that arise in you when uh, somebody's talking stuff that uh, is, is not true in, in a school setting, right? Mm, so mm. tell me about that feeling in, in more detail. If you could act on that feeling without repercussion, with no negative consequences, what would you do? Shout at him. And what would you say? I I don't know. Uh, why are you lying? Just just asking him, why are you lying? Like all this Nazi, like horrible stuff that you're like filling our minds with. I mean, it's, I can't express it. It's, I, it's just this adrenaline. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what I'd actually say, you know. Well, you do. It's just it's hard to put yourself in that mindset, right? Because, I mean, I know you're kind of young and, and you haven't had that, that capacity for independent action quite as yet. But without a doubt, right. the adrenaline has stuff that you want to do. But, but let me ask you, do you think that he is lying consciously or do you think that he believes what he says? He's lying consciously. Like there was one lesson where we were talking about it was it was a general lesson talking about um uh world resources this whole idea that um like we're going to run out of resources everyone's going to like be fighting over the resources and this is why we get wars over water over oil over food and it's all going to escalate and there's going to be more war and everyone's going to die and the lesson went on and we we'll actually say yeah. everyone is going to die no, 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 he he didn't say that. Uh, they, he was talking about two schools of thought. He said there's there's Malthusians who say, uh, yeah, everyone's gonna die. Like uh, that's natural because we're animals. Like we compete for resources, and then we run out of resources, and then our population plummets. And he says, no, 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 don't believe in that. Uh, and then he says this other suggestion where science will like uh, like solve everything. Like science. Uh, like comes along and fixes everything up, and that's fine. And so we're like, oh yeah, that's okay. That science good. That might make sense. And then so we asked him, <clears throat> okay, so uh, what do you think? Can we do? Like, uh, is this situation ever going to be sorted out? Will war come to an end? Like, uh, can we stop exploiting the resources of like 
lesser economically developed countries. And he just said no. He, he just put his pen down and he said no. And that was the end of the lesson. And I just, right then, I thought, what on earth? I mean, he's constantly talking about, like, whenever the, uh, the idea of, like, government intervention, like, comes into play, it's always like, uh, like, when people say, um, like, he asked me once, um, what Marxism was. Like, in the, in the, um, classroom setting, we were talking about, uh, world resources and redistribution of wealth. And I, he asked me what Marxism was. And it, he called me, like, this crazy environmentalist or something. He thinks I'm an environmentalist who, like, like lobbies the government or something. And I just told him, sure, Marxism is where the government uh, redistributes wealth at the point of a gun. And he said, uh, yeah, right, that's good. And, like, I just wanted to... And then he completely changed the topic. And I just wanted to shout, like... Like, we live in this stupid communist society. Why can't you see this? Why don't you admit it? You know it, but why don't you say it? Right, right. I mean, I know the answer. Like, he's he's head of a geography department. He gets loads of money. And, I mean, it's just so sick. I mean, I'm actually taking a double course this year of geography. So I've, I see him, like like, almost every day of the week. And... It's not just him, of course, there are other teachers as well. Um, but, like, it's really hard. I've got to, like, work really hard in these lessons just to catch up because I'm a little bit behind half of my lessons, so it, it's just really hard. And I, I just feel like if I don't have the motivation to... Uh, like, if I'm not on his side, then how can I just, like, accept all that information and let it fill my brain so I can, like, splash it out on a test paper right. like if that's what I need to do just sit there like a stupid like peon being told the truth so that I can like like regurgitate it in the exam if that's what I need to do then like I'm not gonna pass this test you know well no you, can, it, you can't just, pass, sorry you, you can pass the test right as, as long as you recognize that there is a goal called get the degree, right? And I'm just going to assume that you need it, and I think that's a good thing to have, particularly after you've started. And there's this game, right? And there's this game called I have to speak all of this nonsense in order to get my degree. It is not a reflection upon you. It is not a reflection upon your intellectual integrity. It is not a reflection of you. If somebody points a gun to your head and says, I want you to lie, then if you lie, it's not your moral responsibility right now. You're in a situation, you're in a system, you're in a culture, you're in an economy, you're in a country wherein you are forced to jump through a whole bunch of stupid and useless hoops in order to get the credentials that can lead you to a good life, right, in terms of having some freedom and economic independence and a decent income and so on, right? So you didn't make the system, you didn't make the system that promotes people like this to positions of uh, intellectual or moral authority over children, you just stuck in the system, right? In the same way that if you're brought up in Russia in 1950, the fact that you become a communist is not your fault, right? Because it's just, that's what you got to do to survive, right? And in this situation, you can absolutely, like I'm telling you, you can get the degree and you can write the test and you can do very well in it. And you can actually not necessarily hugely enjoy that process, but you can do it without a single shred of shame or guilt, because it's not a system that you've created. These are the hoops you have to jump through, and uh, you get stuff that is good for you in your life out of this process, if that makes sense. Right, right. 
So, yeah, that does make sense. So yeah. the, the, there's a couple of ways to do it, and, and uh, I'll just touch on them because, of course, I spent forever in academics, so uh, I've gone through very, very similar situations. The first thing you have to do is not fight it, right? Because you're sitting there seething and your, your adrenaline is pumping and you're whatever, right? You get stressed and tense and so on. And you need to look at it like an anthropologist. Seriously. You need to look at this like you're reading hieroglyphics from a defunct civilization because in a way you are. Right? You need to look at this and you need to say, this is the world that I'm living in. This is the kind of person who has intellectual or moral authority in my society. And then you need to look at your classmates and you need to drink it in. You need to understand it. You need to absorb it and say, they don't know that these are lies. I know that these are lies. This person is being well paid to corrupt the youth and to frighten them. He's playing out his own weird intellectual sadism based on his own family issues and whatever, whatever, right? This is the world that you live in, right? Because you sit there and rail against it, right? It's like somebody waking up who hates getting older and every single day they say, God damn it, I can't believe I'm older. I'm, this makes me sick. I'm mad. I'm mad. I'm mad, right? But this is the world that we live in, right? This is the world that we live in, right? By being a philosopher, by being interested in this, you're training to be a doctor. Now, if you're training to be a doctor and you notice that everybody is really, really sick, surely that should make you want to be a doctor even more, right? And you should be very proud of that desire or willingness <clears throat> that you have to sacrifice some of your short-term peace of mind for the sake of helping the world in a, you know, get out of a pretty godforsaken place, which is where it sort of is now. So I would say, look, we don't fight reality. As philosophers, we don't fight reality. And the reality is, this is the <coughs> that we live in, and this is the social situation that you live in. And you need to look at it like, I'm studying the enemy. Right? I'm studying the enemy. I'm getting recon photos of the way that corrupt people's mind works. And I'm going to make notes, both about the content of what this guy is saying, and also about the form of it. And I need to study this, and I need to understand it in the way that an oncologist, the researcher, needs to study cancer, right? An oncologist right. wakes up saying, cancer is my enemy, and I'm going to research it, and I'm going to kill this cancer, but I'm not enraged at the cancer, and the cancer is evil, and I'm stressed, and you know, whatever, right? You, you are in the lair of the enemy, and study the enemy, you can learn all about it, you can drink it in, and you can absorb it, so that you don't get so tense and angry, but you are getting invaluable information on how to be the most effective person to fight against this in the future, and you can't fight against it now in this class. You've got to get the degree, and I guarantee you this person's not emotionally mature enough to be debated with, because otherwise you would have done it already. But there's great value that you can get. Uh, you may want to listen to Podcast 300, where I actually take the Christian argument, and uh, I take on the persona of a priest and argue that God does exist with Christina. And uh, to be able to inhabit the skin of the enemy is absolutely essential in terms of being able to win, right? You have to know like if you're a coach of a soccer to football team, you're going to spend half your lifetime studying the plays of the teams you're playing against, right? Learning how they think, what kind of moves they make. And so in school, you're getting an enormous amount of incredibly valuable information about what to fight later on. Drink it in and absorb it. Don't fight it because that's the reality of where we live. Right, right. That's very helpful. Thanks. No problem. And <clears throat> sorry, I, I, I just want to, because we've spent some time on this one, if there's anybody else who had a question in, I'm happy to come back to your second question. But if somebody else has a yearning burning, let's just give them the chance to, to sort of uh, speak up now. No? Okay. Looks good. Uh, so your second question uh, had more to do with your friend who was Christian, right? Right, yeah. I don't know. I guess it kind of links in with like how I just progress this um 
like you said, like you can't you can't win the battle now. Like if when you're still in school, uh, you're the one who's like having all of this propaganda like said to you, like well, uh, by your you. teacher. It's a cannonball into the belly thing, right? But without the whole. Exactly, the exactly. And if I like take a step out of line, it's like the firing squad lined up already. Sure. So like, I I guess like. In that sense, I know that there's nothing I can do to say to my teacher now uh, that's going to change anything. It's not going to do any good. He's just going to ma- manipulate me and make me f- uh, feel more frustrated. But um, this, but I guess like, what can I do with? Um, I guess I could explain the situation a bit clearer. Like uh, this guy is. Uh, Christian, and I've only just found this out after a whole uh, year of knowing him, and, um, sorry about that, and, uh, basically, um, like, this has all come up now, and he, he keeps bringing it up, the fact that he believes in God, and he, how he's so offended by my beliefs, because I'm an atheist, and all of this, and I guess it's just, like, I don't know how to break it to him, like, I, I can't be your friend if, like, this is, like, how are you going to treat me? Because he used to be, uh, I, I don't know, he used to have autism or something, and he's got, he's got a lot of problems, like, in, um, like, often when he's talking in a lesson and someone says, uh, and people start laughing, like, he'll, uh, he'll turn to me and ask, like, why are they laughing? Like, tell me, why are they laughing? And I, and I try and explain it, and... I try and say, like, yeah, this might have something to do with your family, maybe. And I try and get into it, and it just doesn't work. He just gets... I just meet this wall of rage against me. And I just say, oh, fine. Yeah, don't ask me then. I, I, I really... I can't tell if, like, this is just a hopeless situation or whether it's something which I'm, like, creating. Like, this impossible situation where this guy who's asking me for some help, like, can't... Be helped by me. See what I mean? Are you? Uh, would you say that you're friends with this person? I wouldn't. He thinks we are, but his friendships aren't what I would call friendships. Okay. So, uh, is is your? I mean, because this does not sound like somebody who would be a good friend. I mean, just honestly, like if he's doesn't know why people are laughing at him and then gets angry at somebody who gives him a, an honest question or an honest path about learning it then this is not somebody who can be a good friend. I mean, this is somebody who's defensive and dissociated and, and, and angry, right? So this is not somebody who could be a sort of good or quality friend, right? So the question is, what, what is the challenge with setting up the boundaries with this person, right? Because he kind of, I mean, I'm guessing, right, he kind of glommed onto you and you kind of let it happen a bit, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. We talked about his uh, family a bit and how is about his religion as well and... He just suddenly, there was a big wall of defensiveness. Yes, and, and I, I said, to interrupt like, you again. Yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but the, uh, the important thing is not to focus on his family, but your family. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right, so there's a reason why this guy's able to glom onto you. You don't particularly like him, but you start getting involved in his life, right, in his psychology and his family and so on, right? So what that tells me is that you were not taught uh, to, to have particularly strong boundaries or to be able to set limits on your relationships with people based on your own self-interest. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess so. 
right? So, so if you're, if you're only... sorry, if your if your parents or your siblings were doing something that you didn't like or that you felt uncomfortable with or didn't work for you in in a sort of pleasure way, what did you do when you were a kid and that happened? I guess there's nothing I really could do. They wouldn't listen to me. Like, if I said anything, it wouldn't matter, because they could ignore me, and, like, they could safely ignore me, and I'd still be stuck here. Right, so, so like you, have a, sorry, you have a pattern here where your wishes and desires are not taken into account, and you were sort of there for the convenience of other people, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And do you see the parallels here? Yeah, I mean, exactly what you're saying. Like, I, I feel as if I project onto him uh, the idea that he's just using me to sort out his problems. Right. Is that it? Well, I don't think you project onto him, uh, and he's certainly not trying to sort out his problems, but it's far more likely that he's trying to avoid his problems. But here, you were not taught how to say no to people that you don't like, right? Or situations that you don't like, and, and your needs and preferences weren't taken into account, right? Hmm. Yeah, you just have to deal with them. Like, you have to take it. Like You have to take it, right? And you, you are, uh, any time that you attempted to set boundaries in your family, I guarantee you that you were either rejected or attacked or both, right? Right, right. And so with this guy, uh, this, this guy gets that about you, right? He understands that you're not somebody who is at all comfortable with saying no or putting limits on a relationship, right? Right. Why do you think that? Why do I think what? Well, well he keeps doing this. Like, even though, even if I do say no, like... No, no, no. Uh, Again, I'm going to try and push the power back into you, into your hands. I can... You keep right. doing this, not him. You keep doing this. You keep not setting boundaries. Right? It, it, let, me, let me put it to you this way. Let's say that you have a house in an area that floods repeatedly, right? We do. Okay, so it's good. This is a metaphor that works for you, right? Yeah. And yeah. The, the floodwaters come in and your basement gets flooded, right? And then you don't build a wall. And then the basement gets flooded again and you don't build a wall and the basement gets flooded again and you don't build a wall and then you say why does this keep happening to me it's because you're not building a wall right it's not the water's fault the reason that this keeps happening to you is because you're not setting up boundaries Right, so you need to say to this person, I don't feel comfortable when you talk to me in this manner. I mean, you don't have to say, you asshole, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't have to be a jerk about it, right? Because that's how your parents probably did it, right? But, but what you can do is you can say, I don't feel comfortable when you talk to me like this. And then if they scorn you, they say, I don't, you say, I don't, feel, I don't like it, I don't feel good when you scorn me. And then, if they, and then eventually they'll just push off, right? Because they can't manipulate you. Right? So it's your job to set up. It's not his job to, to manage your boundaries. It's your job to manage your boundaries, right? And if you don't build a wall and your basement keeps getting flooded, there's no point saying, well, maybe the, the, the water has had a bad family history. I'm sure the water has in this case. But it's your job to overcome your own family history and to put reasonable boundaries on your relationships so that nobody can exploit you. Because if you're not enjoying this guy, interacting with this guy, you don't have to do it. 
In fact, I would say it's disrespectful to yourself and to the virtuous people in the world for you to do it. You have no positive, unchosen obligations. You don't owe this guy a single shred of help about his history. You don't owe any shred of energy to make him a better person or to help him understand why people laugh at him. You don't owe him one single thin sliver of your time, money, resources, energy, or soul. Right? You don't owe anybody anything unless you've contracted for it or donations. No, I'm kidding. But, but you don't owe, like you don't, it's your job to say no to people that you don't want to interact with. It's not their job to back off and it's not the water's job to not spill into your basement because there are six billion and one crazy people in the world who will try and manipulate and exploit you in this life and saying it's their job to not do it is unreasonable, right? It's your job right. to prevent it. And if it happens right. to push yeah. back and to say, I don't like it when the, I don't like this interaction. And I know it's scary, not because of this guy, but because of your family, and you associate that with being attacked, right? But you're getting old enough now where you can start to practice on this stuff with your sort of so-called friends, right? Or the people who are around you or pillaging you or whatever. Right, right. So the problem is not his pam family or his history. The primary problem, as far as you're concerned, is your family and your history. Right. I really get that. That actually solves a lot of problems. Like, seeing it from that angle, like, completely... It gives you power, I guess right? that can... Yeah, it gives me a lot of power. Yeah, because, I mean, sorry, I, your, I your only solution in this, in, in this case was you say, well, I can't build a wall, but maybe I can make a swimming pool in my basement. Right? So your only solution <laughs> here is like, well, this guy's glommed onto me, so maybe I can make him into a good friend by having him deal with his past. That's not the solution, right? Right, because that's not... Like using my own power, yeah, you like have to no be power. happy in my own life, you have no power. Uh, to be free. Yeah, no power. And so you want to be free, and you want to start practicing now while you're young, right? You don't want to right. sort of do it when you get married and have kids, and you know you got crazy neighbors who want to come over. Do it now, and it's terrible and it's scary, and you need counseling and all that to help you with this. And I mean this with all due sympathy to the the past, right? And and I know a little bit about it based on our conversation from yesterday, but. You know, it is it is your job to do this. This is your job to manage. It's not other people's job to not be crazy. It's your job to be sane. Right, right. That really helps. <laughs> I'm so glad. Now I think that. Uh, I, sorry, go ahead. I can see. I can just see exactly where it's come from too. I mean, like looking at my my past. I think. Well, I've never. Like obviously, as a kid, I was. I wasn't in that position where I could choose. Like. I couldn't set those boundaries because they, they'd be set for me. Sorry, like I couldn't let me say, back you up for a second here just so you have more sympathy for yourself as a kid. It's not that you couldn't set those boundaries. It's that you were attacked for setting those boundaries. Like, I can't fly, but that's a different thing from being attacked for flying. Do you know what I mean? That's not a great metaphor, but it's, it's not that you weren't able to or couldn't get around to it or didn't have the time or couldn't pencil it in. You try to, we all do, set those boundaries. We all try to set those boundaries and to express our preferences in relationships. But every time you do it, if you get attacked every time you do it, you're going to end up being averse to doing that, which renders you open to being exploited by other people later on in life. So you were attacked for doing it, not I just didn't do it, right? How exactly would that happen? I mean, I'm trying to... Trying to think, like, how that could... Well, what happened when you expressed a preference with your parents that conflicted with their preferences? 
Like that'd be um like to take an example? Sure. Like like sure. um yeah, like when we see uh my granddad. Like last time uh I was asked to go see my granddad, I I just said no. I said no. I've uh, I've got a girlfriend, uh, I could see them, uh her and her family and stuff and I like doing that and it would be a heck of a lot more fun than like go sitting in a smelly apartment like uh like talking about the weather. And what and, happened with that? Well, that time, fine. Every other time before that, before I was big enough, I suppose, tall enough, right. Uh, right. I'd just be like shunned, told you're you're wrong because you're not uh, conforming to this family cult. You know, you're not playing by the rules that we've set. Right, and it and sorry to interrupt. It does so, it does confuse us as adults when our parents give us liberties. But basically, if your if your slave escapes overseas and you write him a letter saying, "I now set you free." It seems kind of ridiculous, right? Right, it does, yeah. yeah. So you have to think about it when you were totally under their control and power, when you were five years old, four years old, three years old, six years old. What, what happened then when you expressed a preference did not co- that was inconvenient for them or did not coincide with their preference? Right. Would it be like, I don't know, I'm, ju- I'm just struggling to find saying that early in my childhood. Do you, do you not think you had preferences? Uh, do you, have you ever tried taking candy from a baby? <laughs> um, well, I guess uh, there's a million and one things to say about that with my mom. I mean, she's given... She, we've got this whole, like, not diagnosed OCD, but you know what I mean. Just, like, um, you have to clean things in the exact right way, uh... You can't, like, put a mug on the breadboard. You can't use this knife for that. You have to use a spoon to, like, spread jam. Like, ridiculous things which would never come to your mind. But that's, like, for some reason, like, these weird hang-ups and, like, obsessions that my mum has. She she laughs about it now, but, like, she actually enforced them on me as a kid. Like, she'd say, like like slap my hand and say no don't do that you have to you know uh you have to do it my way like you have to completely conform to my neuroses right a completely insane you know and uh does she think now that in hindsight she maybe should have gotten some treatment for this problem no she sees it as a hang-up right like it's a funny kind of eccentric little british quirk right 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 everyone has a million one of those yeah Right, so, I mean, that seems to me an entirely apt example of if you express a preference that's inconvenient to your parents, you get punished and in a, in a somewhat violent manner, right? Right, I wouldn't call it that violent, but you know. It's scary yeah. when somebody five it's scary. slaps your hand. Right, or even just, like, like, takes the thing out of my hand. It's quite, like, what did I do? You know, I didn't do anything wrong in this thing. You know, I've been picked up, put somewhere else, like, other side of the room, and now they're talking to me, or they're, like, you know, just completely messing me around just because I did something slightly wrong to them, you know. Well, and not wrong at this all. Makes well, sense. what happened is you caused no, no, not, anxiety in a basic yeah, manner, and she attacked you in one form or another. And again, I don't say she clubbed you or anything, but, but it, you, it's hard right, right. to remember what it's like for us when somebody five times her size gets angry at us. In whatever form, right? It's very, very scary. Right. 
I think one of the things that's helped me see that, I don't know if this is healthy or not, but um, I've got two cats, and my dad is just, you know, he, he when he goes into a rage, he just storms, you know, and if the cat does anything, you know, he, if he's in a bad mood and the cat, like, uh, meows at him, something ridiculous like that, he can go insane at this tiny little animal, and I'd, I'd run in the room and say, He's a foot tall. He is half a foot tall. And you're screaming at this tiny little animal. What is wrong with you? And right. it, it... I mean, it's just so insane. I know exactly what you mean. I, but I, I guess the metaphor I use is like how I see my cat. Like running out the cat flap as soon as that happens. Right, right. Except that you didn't have somebody running in the room to interrupt your dad's rage, right? Right. Right. Well, listen, right. I'm, I'm sorry, because I, I would love to spend more time on this, but we have some other people in the queue. Um, just this, sure, yeah, I sure. think it's fairly clear that you can go back and start. You, you write this kind of stuff down. Write down everything that you tried to express a preference that you were attacked for or rejected for or snapped at or whatever. Write all of this stuff down, and then your relationship with this gentleman in the present will become that much more clear. Right, right. Okay, well, okay th- thanks, thanks so that. much. Um, and, and next up we thanks have uh, um, the Divine Miss C., uh, not the one we mentioned before, uh, who wants to spin us a web called misanthrope, misanthropic uh, tendencies. Is she not in? Should we get the next person in? Okay, uh, Uncle B, uh, you had a, uh, a question about uh, uh, a sibling foo convo, and I think you had, you had sent the letter, if I remember rightly, from the board. Yeah, yeah, I, I sent the letter, and uh, it feels good. Uh, I feel like I put a stake in the ground, and um, it's, it's good. But, uh, you know, I, had, uh, I have three siblings, and um, I talked to my final sibling. And uh, one thing that kind of struck me in talking to all three of my siblings is how you know, their anxiety level was one thing, but also, you know, it all boils down to them wanting to make my parents, their parents happy, knowing full well how evil they were when when we were kids. And I realized that I also wanted to, the reason, you know, you asked me two Sunday chats ago, the first time I had a chat with you, uh, why are you still in communication with your parents? And the reason I was you know, seeing, you know, going to visit them, spending five, $600 for Christmas, flying over there to see them and stare at, stare at the walls. Uh, the reason I did that and the reason I called every Sunday was to, because I knew it made them happy and I wanted to make them happy. And it's just, you know, I just kind of realized this just in the last day or so that, you know, God, that's just sickening when, when I think about that, that I actually wanted to make my father happy, yet he is the most evil human being in my, you know, I've ever experienced. He's just a disgusting man. And, and, and sorry, and, sorry and, and to interrupt, but, and, and, and I, I don't want to interrupt your story with your sibling, but I just wanted to put in a little point of clarity that there's no reason you would know, right? But uh, fundamentally, it was not that you wanted to make your dad happy. It was that you wanted to avoid your own feelings of guilt. Could you go into the guilt thing? Well, um, 
wanting to make somebody happy is a good thing, right? I mean, certainly I love making Christina happy, and uh, she loves buying me electronics, which is apparently the same thing. Um, but uh, but uh, wanting to make somebody happy is is a good thing, right? And so there's nothing wrong, objectively, with wanting to make somebody happy. You could not conceivably have had a genuine motivation to make your dad happy because, as you say, he is the most evil human being in the world. So it cannot logically be that you wanted to make your dad happy. What you wanted to do was to avoid the negative feelings that you would have had from not going. I see. Again, I'm just, I'm just trying to put the yeah, back into you that you were actually acting to avoid negative feelings in yourself. But the, those, those feelings of guilt for not going, um, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out because, I mean, still deep, deep down, I, I knew my father was, was evil. You know, it was, there was, it was an illusion that he was, uh, that he was nice. Oh, I, I understand, you know, that, I understand is, that, but if you, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but if, if you look at your own motivations for going to your parents, it was not because it gave you pleasure, right? Right. And, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. I mean, if it did give you pleasure, but if you, if you have an evil guy in your life who bullied and abused you through, through your childhood and your, your youth and middle age, you can't want to see him. You can't take pleasure in seeing somebody who abused you. Like, I mean, there's, there's subjectivity in emotions, but not to that degree, right? Right. But, I, you know, I think I put that, I, I shoved that under the carpet, the fact that he was an evil person, evil man. You know, I... I I, you know, I, I bought his, his veneer of, of nice, you know, that he put on since I left the, right. you know, the house. Right, and I'm basically. going to pause you again, and sorry to be so annoyingly precise, or at least attempting to be precise. You did not push your father's evil under the carpet. He pushed it under the carpet, and you were trained to obey him. Right. And it, it, again, I'm sorry to be so annoying, but it's very important to be precise about what actually happens because anything else right. is mythology, and and when you have mythology, it it it, it disempowers you, right? It, it 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 obscures reality, right? That that there's no way that you would voluntarily say this is an evil guy and I'm going to ignore it, right? Right, right. So your whole family, your siblings, your mom, your dad, everybody pretends the complete opposite as they did when you were a kid. And whenever you were a kid, whenever you acted on something that was true and real, you were viciously attacked, right? So you're just like, I'm, I'm punished for anything that happens that's real, and everybody else has a huge vested interest in covering up this evil, and that was what was actually... You didn't voluntarily just sweep this under the rug, right? Everybody else did for their own self-interest, and in order to continue the abuse, and you're just trained to obey because you're punished if you don't, right? And viciously, too. Right. But I'm so sorry. I mean, let's get back to your sibling. I just wanted to pause on those two particular issues so that you could get some clarity, have a bit more sympathy for yourself and the survival strategies that you maintained and, and so on, right? So that you can get more peace with your decision. Right. I think in, in talking with my siblings, uh, it's kind of a mirror of myself, and I'm kind of working on that because uh, I think they're helping me figure out where I was what was happening with me by just me seeing their resistance to observing me, you know, just getting out, getting out of the mythology that they are still in. 
Well, sure, uh, sure. I mean, I mean, what you're doing is you. I mean, this is how we break from the past. Is we act in defiance to how we were crushed, right? I mean, so uh, for for somebody to step out of mythology invites attack, right? And and that was the story of your childhood. And as we talked about with uh, with Rod last week, you can get to the age of ninety and be exactly the same as you were at the age of four, right? Time heals nothing. Growth does not occur inevitably. I mean, we'll hit puberty whether we like it or not, but we do not hit wisdom, growth, and truth unless we damn well bite and claw for it. So uh, there's no inevitability to, to maturity, and we all know this from, from our own parents, uh, at least most of us. So um, when you decide to act out of mythology, everybody experiences that as an imminent, destructive, and abusive attack, and they blame you, not the parents. So it's an attack on their own guilt, no, no, no it's just that any time anybody tells the truth in your family, they get attacked, right? Right. It's, and nobody uh, wants to look at the attack because the attack is evil. So what they want to do is they want nobody to tell the truth so they don't have to deal with the fact that there's an evil in the family, right? Yeah. So now that you're telling the truth, you are causing problems. You are attacking the family, right? I mean, in their yeah, mind, I'm, a, I'm attacking. Mind. I'm, I'm attacking the mythology of the family, right? Well, yeah, you're rejecting the mythology of the family, but what happens is, <clears throat> sorry, if if in your family, <clears throat> when you're a kid, every time somebody has a glass of milk, all the children get hit, right? What are your siblings going to do when you reach for a glass of milk? They're going to duck. No, they're not going to duck. You said if everyone, you're saying if everyone who reaches for a glass of milk gets hit. No, if every child who, like if, if you have a glass of milk, if, if you have one glass of milk, all of the children get beaten, including your children, uh, sorry, including your siblings, what are they going to do when they see you reaching for that glass of milk? They're going to say, don't, don't grab, don't grab. Right, they're, going to, uh, they're going to attack you like, what the hell are you doing? Don't do that, stop! They're going to get really enraged at you, right? Mm -hmm. Which is completely unjust, but totally understandable. Because they can control you, they can't control your dad, when they're kids, right? This right. is why younger siblings who have so little to lose from telling the truth get so attacked from everybody else, because they, they, they know that if the younger siblings tell the truth, it's going to provoke an attack on all the children. They can't control the parent, but they can control the younger sibling, right? Right. But what's kind of interesting about this is, is that I, I didn't really do that because uh, what I've learned in, these, in the, these conversations recently with my siblings is that, you know, going, going from oldest to youngest, the physical violence got less and less. So my sister, the oldest, got beat the most. My oldest brother... I think got beat then, and then my other brother. And I, by the time it got to me, I didn't need to get beaten. I didn't really. I did not get beaten physically because I was already beaten. My hypothesis is that I've already. I was already taken care of <laughs> uh, without having, without needing phys physical violence. Does that make sense? And well, but but do you know why that that violence tends to diminish down the chain of age? Mm, no. Well, it's because the parents have lieutenants. I was a lieutenant? 
No, um, the, 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 uh, again, we're just talking about the, the chain of, of, of the sort of the, the age sequence, right? So when it, the, the first kid, like if, if the kid gets beaten for, if anyone gets beaten for drinking a glass of milk, right? The parents have to beat the first kid quite a lot to get them to not drink the glass of milk, right? But by the time the second kid comes along, the parents have to beat the second kid less. Why? Because the second kid has already seen the first kid get beaten severely and, and already has some fear before even getting beaten. Well, there's that to some degree, but uh, I would not say that's the full story. The reason that the parents have to beat the second kid less is because the first kid is the enforcer. Because the first kid has felt the full pain and says, I'm going to get beaten if you have the milk. If you grab for the, grab for the milk. Right, so they police, the, the older kid polices the milk and polices the younger kid and attacks the younger kid if the younger kid goes for the milk, right? Right. And the reason why younger siblings so often, it's not universal, but the reason why younger siblings are so often the ones who tell the truth is that they don't ever get turned into enforcers. They don't ever get recruited into the hierarchy. So they never become somebody who abuses another child in the family. And of course, once you become an abuser, it's almost impossible, especially of children. I mean, you just never can become a good person, right? Um, I'm trying to figure out, you know, when you're saying in this analogy of everyone gets beaten if one child misbehaves, I'm, I'm, I kind of, maybe that happened in my family, but I can't remember that kind of scenario really actually happening. But, I mean, right, and, and thank you for pointing that out. That was a metaphor, and what I mean by that is even if only one child gets attacked, all the other children feel fearful, Right. Sure. So when I say all the children get attacked, whether the, the parent only attacks one child, all the children feel terrified of that, right? Oh, I was, I mean, I, as a very young kid, when my sister, you know, when she was in her turbulent teens getting beaten the most and getting screamed at by my father, I was the youngest and I was petrified, you know. So, yeah. Right. I, so that's what I mean when I say all the children get attacked. Right. Right. Because even only attacks one child, all, you're all terrified. And if you see your sibling doing something that's going to invite an attack on that sibling, unless you're a total sadist, you're going to try and control that sibling. Because him you can control, or her you can control, or influence at least. Your parent you can't, right? So, uh, so it's like me saying to my sister, please don't do that because dad's going to yell and scream at you and that's just going to hurt me. Well, I'm sure that you cared about her as well, but... Sure. It was also terrifying for you when this happened, of course. Oh, sure. And so what that means, of course, is that when you start reaching for the glass of milk, even if your siblings are 60 years old, they're going to get mad at you. So it's like putting it in current time. I am, right now, by me defooing, I'm... You're drinking. You're not even reaching for the glass of milk. You're drinking deep, my friend, and everybody is freaking out because they know an attack is going to occur. So they're and afraid. And if, they if the parent can't get their hands on you, your siblings are going to suffer even more. Okay, so they're afraid that 
my father is going to get enraged, and they're the ones that are going to have to face that. Well, sure. Right. And so you're causing the problem for them. Right. So they're going to get mad at you because that's what families do is they get mad at the weakest, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they haven't gotten mad at me yet, uh, but there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely anxiety. No. Sure, absolutely. Look, and I'm not saying it's exactly the same as when you were 10 or 12 or 8 or anything like that, but okay. there is anxiety, sure. Um, your dad is also old enough that I mean, the fear of physical attack is diminished or eliminated, but, uh, but your dad will know how to strike out, and it may be in terms of inheritance, or it may be, you know, I cut you all off, I'm taking making something up, who knows, right? But, but there will be something which will cause uh, an escalation of, of tension and, and probably some, some pretty outright hostility. And that hostility may be, if you're lucky, just, you know, we're never going to talk to you again, right? Which I know is painful, but it's certainly better than, you know, them sort of undermining and abusing and messing you up in different ways. Well, I, you know, that's, 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 not, that's something I can certainly live with. For me, it's, the, you know, the, the, the worst thing that can happen to me is, you know, I lose an inheritance. And I don't know how much that would be or, or what, but, you know, in fact, I, I kind of feel that it's not healthy for me to, to, to expect that. Yeah, no, I would not agree with you. Sorry, I would not agree with you that the worst thing that can happen to you is to not get an inheritance. What, what would be the worst thing? Well, it would be to continue to subjugate yourself to an abusive relationship. Oh, sure, sure. But yeah, I'm, 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 that's, to me, is completely off the table. I would, that's refooing. <laughs> Right, right. So you, what you mean is the worst thing that they could do to you now that you've defooed is not give you an inheritance. That's what I meant, yes. I'm so sorry. I, I misunderstood. My, my no, apologies. no problem. No problem. So does, the, does that give you some, again, uh, th there's no way to predict everyone's behavior, but does it give you a way of looking at this that makes the behavior a little bit more comprehensible? Yeah, I think it does because I've been really, you know, trying to figure it out and, and it's been spinning in my head and, and it's just, you know, uh, this... Yeah, it'll take some more uh, pondering on it and letting it and, and chewing on it. But yeah, that that definitely helps. And of course, if you're still in conversation with your siblings, you can say, "Well, how is this all making you feel?" Yeah, and I've been doing that, and that's been working really well, uh, especially this last conversation. Um, I I said to my brother, I said, "You know, I, I get the feeling that 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 you're anxious," and and he actually said, "Yeah, I am anxious." Well. Can you tell me about why you feel anxious? And that really, that really helped get down to the nitty-gritty, and, and it really got down to the point where he, I think, uh, is, is willing to take a look at this, more so than the other two siblings. Hey, look, and I, I don't mean to sound too feral, but, but I swear to God, I mean, nothing better could come out of this than you all leave this, this vicious old bastard to die alone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be great. <laughs> you know, there, there is a black simian justice in the world that I completely and fully support. And I don't mean that you go there and scream at his bedside, but, you know, if, you've, if you have abused children, if you die alone in a dark room, I'm just, I'm, I don't lose a wink of sleep, and I think there's some justice in that. that that's kind of satisfying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, really, it's, it's a really sick thing to, to observe, to, to watch my siblings. My sister, for example, you know, I asked her, you know, do you want, she's planning to visit my, my parents this, this Christmas. And I said, do you want to go visit them? And she, without hesitation, she said no. 
So I said, why are you going? And she, for a moment there, I could tell she saw how ludicrous that was. But well, then she... Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but just, just give her this idea that we talked about a little bit earlier. Really, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but uh, this idea we talked that she's not doing it to please them. She's doing it to avoid her own negative feelings or her own anxious feelings or her own feelings of guilt. Or It's not about them. She's manipulating them to make herself feel better, and they're manipulating her to make themselves feel better, but it's got nothing to do with making them happy. Because that's a moral thing, right? And if you believe that, then you're going to feel really bad for not making your parents happy. But it's got nothing to do with that. It's just about, you can tell that, but maybe play this part, and it's about her trying to avoid her own anxiety about not going. Would I, should I just say that, or should I kind of ask, ask questions to kind of get, get, get to that? Well, I'd be kind of blunt, but I mean, I'd ask her questions about how she feels and, and, you know, what I did with you, you may want to listen to this video again, where I say, well, it can't be because you want to make them happy. Because why would you want to make an abuser happy? And do you really think that an abuser could be happy? And what kind of person would be happy if somebody showed up out of obligation, not out of desire? Right. That's a good point. You know, I would never want someone to, to pay attention to me out of obligation. That's No, uh, how terrible. I mean, how insulting would that be? You know, like... Oh, yeah. uh, Christina says, well, I don't, I don't love you. I don't even like you. In fact, I really despise you. But I just kind of felt after you bought the ring that it was sort of my duty to marry you. And, and so, I mean, wow, God, I mean, like annulment, bye-bye, right? What a nightmare that would be, right? But, so so there's, you can ask a bunch of questions to get her to doubt the premise that she has, but then it's always good to have the answer in your pocket, right? Right. And another thing, this, this makes, makes me uh, think of, uh, of this. You know, it, I, I'm to my father, you know, I'm nothing more than a son, and it's really an insult to, to just be a son. It's, and, and my brother, one of my brothers said, you know, when I asked him, why do you care about me? Because he, he, I asked him why he's so concerned about me doing all this. He said, well, because I care about you. And I asked him, why do you care about me? He says, because you're my brother. And they, they're just they're so, it's so insulting, you know. Okay, well, thanks so much, and I'm sorry to, to ditch you, but uh, time's a ticking, and we have uh, okay. somebody else who wanted to chat. Uh, do keep us posted, and I think you're just doing, for what it's worth, if it means anything, you're doing some magnificent stuff there, and uh, you're going to do some fantastic stuff uh, to, to bring this stuff to the light, and, and uh, you don't know where this kind of behavior is going to end up for yourself, but it's going to be a, a much, much better place. So thank you so much for, for uh, keeping us up to date. Thanks. All right. The Divine Messi, uh, save me from misanthrope, uh, misanthropy, which actually is what happens when there's a full moon and you grow a lot of hair, if I understand that rightly. I used to be a werewolf, but I'm all right now. Okay, on? you frightened me, Steph. Yeah, you really like, frightened okay, now? me. It's only happening now? Come on. <laughs> okay. Sorry to double dip, but... um. Something that you said to Tom sort of, I don't know, set me off, I guess, um, how he should absorb all of the, the crap that his uh, teachers are uh, spewing, but it, it doesn't sort of, um, I don't know, I guess it's it's not his fault morally that he has to regurgitate it back out. Sorry, um, one just of the, before you continue, and I, I certainly don't mind uh, you tearing me a new one if I've made a mistake, but... I just wanted to point out, I didn't say that he should absorb the crap. I said he should absorb the fact that it is crap. But sorry, go ahead. Um, so one of the things that I was wondering is since I, I listened to your podcast on, you know, the New York City subway, and I see at least twice a day something, you know, some horrible child abuse or some horrible uh, 
just general horribleness. And I start thinking, okay, that's one more person that we can't save. So I was wondering, how do you avoid becoming a, a total misanthrope once you've sort of woken up to all of the, the shit that goes on and the fact that it is shit? Right. It would seem to me that, you know, I guess wanting to save humanity but not wanting to look at individual humans too much it would just seem to me to be a little bit intellectually dishonest. So how do you reconcile that? Well, I mean, that's an excellent question. We just talked about that today. The first problem is that you're leaving your house and, uh, <laughs> and, and doing anything other than uh, being on the Free Domain Radio Board. So, uh, <laughs> look, I mean, and, and there's some truth in that, but uh, this, is, this is a significant challenge, which is that we want to save the world and let's, let's you know, put all pretensions of, of, of rank humility and self-abasement aside. We want, to, we want to save the world and we dislike most of the people in it. And that is, uh, that is a challenge, right? We are, um, uh, the, 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 what I do, the, the way that it works for me is, is something like this. Like I think it, there's some real value in living your life and making your decisions from your deathbed back, right? So that's just one of the things that I do when I'm sort of trying to prioritize my time or my energies or my life is to say, you know, on my deathbed, am I going to be really happy that I did this? Am I going to be, be satisfied that I did this and so on, right? And that helps me to, to sort of really focus my time and my energy so that when I'm on my deathbed, I'm happy with what I did and how I spent my time. That's one thing that you can do to, uh, to really help uh, that. So, and, and, and the way that translates into what we're doing here is I think of this completely beautiful world a hundred years from now. Let's just say it could be more, it could be less, probably more. But let's just say a century from now, there's this beautiful world. There's this beautiful world where there's no government and people don't believe in these sick fantasies of religion and they don't terrorize their children with stories of hell and bleeding saints and duty and don't masturbate and all this sort of unhealthy, sickening, self-conscious, you're constantly being watched crap where uh, people are brought up in schools, children are brought up in schools where their minds are stimulated and they look up, they wake up looking forward to going to school and they have a great time when they're there and they can graduate when they're 14 years old with all the skills that we might even have right now at the end of university and they can start on their lives and they get an extra decade of life because they don't get it pissed away in the gulags of stupid school systems and they they raise their children with, with joy and pleasure and there's, there's enough money that they only have to work two days a week and if one parent wants to stay home or they can save enough money for both parents to stay home and enjoy the babies and the children for the first five or seven years until they go to school. They can homeschool and perfectly afford it. There's, a, there's, there's a no need to commute. I mean, all of the things that can be possible. There's no war. There's no national debt. There aren't economic catastrophes at every corner where the dollar goes up and then the, the Dow goes down and manufacturing dips and then it spikes because the government isn't managing the money supply. And people have a control and a certainty in their own environment and they love the world and they love their life. And those people who to us would seem like gods is the natural state of humanity. That is the natural state of humanity to live in peace and joy and plenty and benevolence. And yes, there will be sociopaths born into that society in the same way that we have Siamese twins in our society, but they will figure in almost everybody's lives, not at all. DROs will move into help. People have these choices. They have these options. They can travel. They don't need passports. They, you don't have to apply to move from one place to another. You can, uh, you can uh, live your life in peace and plenty. Those are the people that I love. 
those are the people I love. And God, I hope they're listening in 100 years to this because we're doing it all for you, baby. So send your donations back in time too because by then we'll have time travel. So uh, I want to sort of, those are the sort of shining, beautiful uh, souls that we are working to give entrance to the world to, right? We are working to give a world that can support and, and nourish that kind of beauty and that kind of human potential and possibility where children the four are recognized for the beautiful geniuses that they are and there is an, a, an explosion of art and science and culture and, and commerce that, that would imagine that we, we couldn't imagine uh, the progress that is made in a year is what we consider lucky to make in a lifetime. And that world, that world, that world is what I'm looking back from in my heart of hearts. I'm living in that world, and I'm looking back and saying, now that I'm there, because this is what I live with Christina, this is my life with my wife, right? That world, I'm looking back and saying, well, how the fuck do we get there? And once you're there, you can look back and see how you can get there. And loving that world of the future, and loving those amazing, gorgeous, godlike, saint-like, hagiographically intense people in the future is something that is where my passion goes. Because, yes, absolutely, when you're in a society of lepers, you have to love who the society could be in the absence of leprosy. That is a little bit of looking into the future and projecting. But you have to have that vision so that you have the strength to go out and work your best to heal the lepers every day. So uh, I would say just you know, fall in love with the future that, that we are creating for the world through this conversation. And I, you know, all accusations of grandiosity can land on me because I am not going to spend my life, my precious coinage on anything less than the most magnificent goal that I can imagine and I can come up with because that's how I want to spend my short time on this planet is having mad, grand, enormous goals of creating a utopian, perfect, wonderful planet full of, of joyous, happy, brilliant people uh, who, who laugh all day long and sing in the shower uh, with more tune than I do. So that is the world that I love, and that is the world that I am absolutely going to die building the bridge towards, and then whoever comes after, and all of us will, will pass that along. That's how I avoid uh, the distaste and hatred of the present, that there is an enormous amount of, there are an enormous uh, cavalcades of broken people in the world at the moment, and they are so broken that they attack a healing hand. We have to try and treat lepers who are biting us, and uh, we've got to keep moving and look and, and picture that perfect gap commercial world of the future with no leprosy. And that's what we love. And that's what we're building the shining bridge towards, if that helps at all. Hi, it's uh, Stefan Molyneux. Sorry, so sorry that this show ended abruptly. We had an internet outage which unfortunately acts the show, but uh, we were pretty much done. Thank you so much for listening. Please drop by freedomainradio.com forward slash books.html or stores.lulu.com forward slash freedomainradio to pick up your goodies. Thank you so much. As always, I look forward to your donations. I will talk to you soon.